it isn't fair. How many times have we said that? How many times have you said that? Have you ever been treated in a way that you didn't deserve? When we say it isn't fair, usually it's because something bad happened to us that we didn't deserve. But sometimes we get what we don't deserve, and it's a good thing. When I was in high school, uh, I had band class on either side of my lunch. And so um, because of that, we had some extra time at lunch. And so on Tuesdays, me and my buddy would leave campus and go to Taco Bell for Taco Tuesdays. And our band teacher knew about this. We would often bring him Taco Bell back to campus um, when we'd leave to go get, um, go get our tacos fix on Tuesdays. But there was one Tuesday um, where we did our usual routine. We left, we got our Taco Bell, we had our Taco Bell on hand. We made it back on campus. And just then a cop car pulled up on the street flipped on his lights, he got out of the car and said, boys, get over here. So we walked over to the cop car, and as soon as our feet stepped off the curb onto the street, he said, you're off campus during school hours, I'm arresting you for truancy. So, he takes our backpacks, dumps them out in the street to search them, puts us up uh, on the car with our hands on the car, we're spread eagle, he's patting us down. Right then the bell rings and the entire campus comes walking past as David Troutman is like this on a cop car. So he takes us to the juvenile detention center and um, anyways, various hijinks ensue. But anyways, all that is to say, um, our parents have to get off work and come pick us up. And so they tell um, us and our parents that um, we'll have to go back to school and sign in. And when we do that, the dean will assign us some sort of punishment, like in-school suspension or whatever, some kind of punishment from the school. We didn't get in any legal trouble, just with the school. And so um, my buddy got picked up first, so he went back, he signed in, he got two days of in-school suspension. I go back, and I go up to the front desk to sign in, and uh, I say, hi, I I need to sign in. And the person behind the front desk says, did you sign out? And I said, no. (laughs) And they said, well, then I can't let you sign back in. And I said, okay, so what do I do? And they said, go back to class. (laughs) And I said, okay, uh, can I have a pass to go back to class? And they said, sure. And they wrote me a pass to go back to class. So I walked back to class, went into class, and I got no punishment. There was absolutely no consequences whatsoever on me. It was as if the person sitting behind the desk had just erased the punishment of what I had done. My truancy was completely taken away. And when that happened, this huge weight was just lifted off of my shoulders. I did not get what I deserved. Maybe you've had a similar experience where you should have gotten in trouble, but you escaped punishment. Or maybe you've had a large debt that you owed and someone paid it for you, just canceled the debt. Or maybe you got some unexpected provision right when you needed it. You know, all of us recently experienced the unexpected mercy of a hurricane that was supposed to directly hit Gainesville and largely passed by, leaving us unscathed with no loss of life. One way to understand the central claim of the gospel is this. We get 
what we don't deserve. You know, it's easy to see God's mercy when it comes to the solid stuff of life, like the recent storm, or escaping punishment, or a debt being paid, or the Gators beating uh, Tennessee. It's harder when it comes to the invisible forgiveness of sins. But that's why I think Jesus chooses a concrete parable this morning about monetary debt. Something that's very familiar to us in American society to explain forgiveness. In our gospel reading from Matthew 18, which is found on page 824 in your pew Bibles if you want to follow along. But we're looking at Matthew 18, 21 to 35. In that, in that um, parable, Jesus tells a story about a servant who has an incredible amount of debt. 10,000 talents. Now that is an absurd amount of debt. Okay, that is a crazy amount of debt. In today's terms, that would be about $7 billion. That's how much this person has accrued in debt. It would have been equivalent to the to the earnings of a day laborer after 200,000 years of work, okay? This is a lot of debt. Think about the lavish lifestyle you must have in order to accrue $7 billion of debt. I mean, this guy had gold-plated chariots. He probably had a legion of servants waiting on him all the time, okay? This servant, as we're imagining the parable, was not just like a field hand kind of servant. He would have been living like a king, okay? So this makes it, this is kind of only thing that's more absurd than the amount of debt, is what the servant says to the king. So this is verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Remember, I said this is, 200,000 years of work to pay this back, okay? So this is just kind of offensive to the intelligence of the king. Of course the servant can't pay off his debt. The king has already determined that the entirety of the man's life and work won't even come close to covering the debt. And that's why the king, it says in verse 25, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. This is justice. This is what he deserved. The disciples hearing this in that first century context would have been like, yes, this is the right thing that should happen. This is exactly what he deserves. He's getting his comeuppance for his lavish lifestyle and this huge amount of debt. But Jesus doesn't stop the story there. The servant doesn't get what he deserves. The king has mercy and forgives this enormous $7 billion debt. The king forgives the whole debt knowing that the servant can never make good on the repayment. This is what God has done for us. Forgiveness is like the canceling of a debt. Every sin we ever committed, every time we lied, every time we lusted or coveted, every time we hurt others, put us in debt to God, to whom we owe everything. Every time we turned a blind eye to the suffering and needs of others, every time we made much of ourselves and very little of God, 
Every time we were greedy and wasteful with our time, our treasure, and our talents. And so now we owe an incredible debt to our king. Thanks be to God. He is merciful. Our debt to God far exceeded $7 billion. It was worth the life of his son, Jesus. God gives us what we don't deserve. His extravagant forgiveness shown to us on the cross where he paid all of our debts. God did that. He did the impossible for us. What we could never repay, he did that for us so that we could do what is impossible for us to do otherwise, which is forgive others. Forgiveness is when God erases our sins, not counting them against us. It's not a denial that no wrong was committed, that no sin was committed. It's an honest acknowledgement that something was wrong. Real sin was committed and that we get what we don't deserve. He has forgiven us all our sins so that we might forgive others. And so to return to our parable, the servant having this massive debt canceled is exuberant with joy and his good fortune and he went out in joy forgiving others and living happily ever after right no the story doesn't end with undeserved mercy and forgiveness verse 28 but when that same servant went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him he began to choke him saying pay what you owe So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So again, we need a little context here. 100 denarii is equivalent to 100 days of labor. It's about $6,000 in today's money. So that's a good chunk of change. But remember, $6,000... Seven billion dollars. Okay? And so, it was a substantial debt, but one that could definitely be paid off. Probably within a year, this servant could have worked off that $6,000 debt. It was a tiny fraction of what the other servant owed the king. Now, this seems absurd, right? Jesus is giving an absurd example. This absurd story to show the disciples... How absurd it is that God forgives us and then we refuse to forgive others. He's bringing the disciples into his perspective on sin and forgiveness. Think about it. Right at this moment, Jesus is on his way to give up his life so that the disciples and the whole world can have access to undeserved mercy and forgiveness. And it's at this moment that Peter asks, how many times do I have to forgive? We can laugh at Peter, but we do the same thing, right? We ask that question. How many times do I have to forgive? Jesus is on the way to the cross to give his life to pay for the debt of sin. And Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive? This is exactly what we do. Every time we refuse to forgive someone, we are clutching at pennies when we have won the lottery of God's forgiveness. This is the vision 
of the kingdom of heaven. But this incredible gift comes with a warning. If we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. In the parable, the king revokes the forgiveness of the unforgiving servant. The king says this. This is picking up in verse 32 if you're following along. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. The unforgiveness of the servant undoes the forgiveness of the king. And then Jesus says this, just to drive the point home. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, every Sunday we say the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are praying, we're asking God to forgive us the way that we forgive others. That is a dangerous prayer that we are praying in that moment. We're saying to God, treat me the way that I treat other people. That's a dangerous prayer. Now, I want to be clear here because I don't want you to hear me wrong. God's forgiveness is a free gift. It is the ultimate gift that cost us nothing and it cost Jesus everything. But Jesus warns us that God's undeserved forgiveness towards us must be paid forward in undeserved forgiveness of others. You know, psychology has a term for this. It's called transference. Usually it's negative, right? We've probably heard of negative transference. Like mom gets yelled at by her boss at work. She comes home from work, and so she yells at her kids. Because she can't yell at her boss, or else she's going to get fired, right? But she's got to transfer those negative emotions somewhere, so she transfers them to her children. Or, or um, you know, a, a husband is having conflict with his coworkers, and so he comes home and he blasts his wife, right? Negative transference. You transfer feelings, attitudes, and actions from one person to another. And we're pretty good at this negative transference. I think all of us have probably seen that happen. We've witnessed it. We've all probably done it sometimes ourselves. What God wants us to start practicing is positive transference. The forgiveness God has given to you, he wants you to transfer to your family, friends, and coworkers. You know, I've been wondering about this all week. I've been thinking about it and chewing on it. I'm wondering, why don't we treat others the way that God has treated us? Why do we find ourselves acting like the wicked servant? And I think this is the reason why. When something good happens to us, we assume that we deserved it. We presume upon the undeserved mercy of God for us... And deny that same mercy for someone else. We assume that any good that we've received in this life, we somehow must have earned it or deserved it. You know, somebody recently asked me if I thought I was privileged. And I said to them, of course, I'm the most privileged person I know. Christians are the most privileged people on earth. Every single day, we get what we don't deserve. God's undeserved mercy and forgiveness. Being called privileged should never offend us. If anything, we should be the first to claim it. Yes, I'm privileged. 
You know, I truly believe this, that if we can make that shift in our minds and our hearts, if, if we can start to see ourselves as the incredible recipients of God's undeserved mercy and forgiveness, it will reshape how we interact with others in the world around us. We'll become more forgiving towards others. You know, no one could possibly sin more against you than you have sinned against God. This is what Paul proclaims in our reading from Romans. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. People don't have to answer to us. They answer to God. And we answer to God. Forgiveness, however, is not about being a doormat or ignoring the terrible and tragic impact of sin. We're called to be honest about that. People will say to me all the time, you don't have to apologize, just forget about it. And I want to say, that's not forgiveness. That's not how this works. We have to acknowledge that real sin was committed and then forgive it. Forgiveness is when we cancel what others rightfully owe us, expecting nothing from them, not even an apology, and trust that God will bring justice in the end. It's when we relinquish our presumed right to get justice for ourselves and let God sort it out. And the promise of Scripture is that he will. Because the reality is that unforgiveness is deadly to us. It, it imprisons us just like it imprisoned the unforgiving servant. My spiritual mentor used to say to me over and over again, probably because I needed to hear it a lot, he said this, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It prisons us. It, it traps us. It hurts us. You know, I want to be clear here, though, because I think sometimes we have some false conceptions about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to stay connected to someone. You know, last week I talked about reconciliation, and that's one thing. And, and forgiveness is a prerequisite for reconciliation. But you can forgive somebody without reconciling with them. Because reconciliation requires the repentance of the offender. And you can't control that. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could just make people repent? Wouldn't that be cool? It'd be really awesome if I could make myself repent. That would be awesome too. But we don't control that. All we control is whether or not we forgive them. Right? And, and actually, when we do that, they, they lose power over us. Right? As long as we have bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody, they kind of have some power over us. That unforgiveness has power over us. When we forgive them, we're actually setting ourselves free. God is rele releasing us from captivity. You can forgive everyone, but you don't have to continue in relationship with everyone. And I think sometimes we struggle with forgiveness because, let's be honest, we don't always feel like it. We don't feel like forgiving the person. I want to tell you that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice to cancel the debt others owe you. Uh, Tim Keller has a great line, and Father Michael actually sent this to me this week when we were talking about my sermon. He said, forgiveness is practiced before felt, not felt before practiced. You may have all sorts of feelings, even after you've forgiven. You, know, you might have lots of feelings before you forgive, and you might have all sorts of feelings even after you've forgiven. You might still have flashes of anger and hurt and pain. That's okay. That does not mean you have not truly forgiven. Because in the midst of those feelings, 
we can remind ourselves of how much God has forgiven us and how little we are being asked to forgive in comparison. It's okay to have emotions and to feel your feelings, okay? You can still make a choice to forgive. Don't exchange winning the lottery of God's forgiveness for clutching at pennies. This week, someone is going to sin against you. They're going to walk up to you, and I, I, I have this visual image that the, I think the Lord gave it to me of just like a sheet of paper, right? Your life is a sheet of paper. Someone's going to walk up to you with a black marker, and they're going to put a dot on your nice, clean, white sheet of paper. They might even come up to you and put 77 dots on your sheet of paper. And in that moment, when somebody sins against you, I want you to remember all the black dots that you put on God's page and that he erased. Don't get offended because you have been an offender against God and he gave you undeserved forgiveness because he loved you so much. He gave his life to cancel all that debt, far more than $7 billion. He gave you undeserved forgiveness. You know, examine your heart. Is there any unforgiveness lurking there? If so, confess it and forgive. You can do that by God's strength and his power and his help. It's a question of the heart. Is your heart merciful? Is it ready to treat people as they don't deserve? Or is it vengeful, set on making sure everyone else gets their just desserts? If we forgive, we will be forgiven. If we show mercy, we will receive mercy. Mercy beyond what we deserve is available to us always. Accept the undeserved mercy and extravagant forgiveness of our God for you. And then transfer that. Transfer that mercy and forgiveness to the world. Amen. Mm -hmm.